0: listening to living for the cinema with jeff gershon i am a cinema enthusiast of all genres here to discuss with you one film every episode the good the bad and the ugly of what makes each film unique and just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. White Men Can't Jump, which came out in 1992 and was directed by Ron Shelton. It's not about black. I don't mean to brag. I am the agree. Because you never saw me. It's not about white. How much money did you make today? I miss you, too. It's about the green. $500, baby. I have a business proposal for you. As if you don't mind hustling. Kind of hustling. Sometimes in life, (laughs) you gotta hustle. See ya. Wouldn't wanna be. I only have four words for you. What? White men can't jump. (laughs) And you were almost there. Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. White men can't jump. It stars Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, Rosie Perez, Tyra Farrell, Kadeem Hardison, Silik Cozart, and Bill Henderson. The genre would be basketball buddy-slash-romantic comedy. Now, could this be the best basketball movie ever? Well, as far as any movie featuring basketball that I've ever seen, at the very least, it likely has the sharpest dialogue and the most observant humor, and some of the most endearing characters. Thirty years after I first just fell hard for this movie, seeing it in theaters and rewatching it countless times since then, I'm kind of at a loss as to why it works as well as it does. It's just such an odd duck of a movie. Now, you might call it a, quote, buddy movie, but the two main characters, Sidney played by Snipes and Billy played by Harrelson, they're hardly friends or even functional partners for the hustling scheme that they launch in the first act. Maybe a romantic comedy between Billy and Rosie Perez's Gloria? They have great chemistry and are both very funny, but they are clearly not right for each other, and it even makes sense that they don't stay together in the end. Even referring to it as, quote, a basketball movie might be a stretch, as most of the basketball shown being played is for relatively low stakes, and likely the two most triumphant basketball victories shown, the tournament, and also Billy and Sydney defeating the King and Duck towards the end of the movie, they both have negative postscripts. So what is the best way to describe this movie? Just a very sharp, character-based sports comedy. This was writer-director Ron Shelton's follow-up to his baseball classic, Bull Durham, which was more of a pure sports movie, as it at the very least followed one professional team, a minor league team, through an entire baseball season. But it was also a case of some seemingly disparate parts, rom-com, underdog story, being blended together better than you would think thanks to sharp writing and winning performances from its stars who were Costner, Sarandon, and Robbins. Well, this time around, in their place, the casting gods blessed Shelton with Snipes, Harrelson, and Perez. And all things equal, that's a pretty good trade. These were three budding stars on the come-up, and they're each very strong, rising to the challenge of playing some very flawed yet likable individuals, each of them well-versed in the art of hustling. Sidney, as played by Wesley, is probably the most mature and well-adjusted of this particular trio, though that's not really saying much. He was working in the gig-based economy decades before smartphones made it easier and more fashionable. He's doing construction, renovations, etc. But his greatest passion is basketball. And protecting his wife and infant son as they live in a dangerous area of Los Angeles. Snipes obviously looks great in the basketball sequences and plays everything high energy, especially all of the rapid-fire banter on the courts. As sympathetic as his character is... I don't think the actor has ever been this funny, dishing out put-downs like the following. Oh, man, George, your mother's an astronaut. Yeah, he talked about your mama, man. He playing you for a punk. The he playing astronaut. you and your mama for punk, hey, man. I, mama, wouldn't I, it. It. I, I wouldn't take it. it. I, I wouldn't take it, man. I, I wouldn't take it. it. My mother ain't no astronaut. George, say Your mother ain't no astronaut. Your father ain't no astronaut. Ain't no astronauts got nothing to do with nothing, all right? Yeah, well, my mama ain't no astronaut. You understand me, huh? Huh? Hey, 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 ass hey, man. What is this? George, man. Me saying that your mother's an astronaut... It's just another way of saying that you all fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, well, cool. Well, well, let's just get off Mama's, because I just got off yours. She's out. Cool. Cool. She's out. Cool. She's out. out. What time do you want me to bring the bitch back? (laughs) (laughs) At the time of this film's release, Woody Harrelson was mostly known for his dim-witted character on the hit sitcom Cheers, which was actually finishing its final season at the time. He plays very much on this dim persona as Billy, the seemingly goofy street basketball journeyman who's actually deceptively quite good. He's a hustler for sure, but he's also a degenerate gambler with a chip on his shoulder. Harrelson plays him as unapologetically dickish, especially towards his girlfriend Gloria, but also retains his Woody-like charm to still keep him somewhat endearing. One comic highlight is watching him attempt to trash talk at the local invitational tournament, and it's really fun just watching him go completely over the top. Bring it on, you right. bad boy! Oh! Oh, oh! He ain't got shit! He ain't got shit! He ain't got shit! My oh, God, be a better. What a great no-look pass, too. Am I right? The mustard is off the hot dog, you Check. big corn fed mule, you shut my man ain't getting that. Oh, another frick! Hey, look, look, yeah, I looked up basketball player in the dictionary and said, Not you! <laughs> you ain't be gonna be able to deal with that! Bring it on, bad boy! Excuse me, I'm talking here. I'm... And then there's Rosie Perez in a revelatory performance as Gloria, who steals the movie every chance that she gets. Now, her character is borderline alcoholic, she's obsessed with learning trivia, she's adept at talking a big game, and she's, of course, madly in love with Billy. The feeling is actually mutual, and one of the strengths of Shelton's screenplay and their performances is how obviously right and wrong these two are for each other at the same time. They have scorching chemistry, and this is also conveyed in a couple of sex scenes with them, which work very well because of the relaxed nature with which they are filmed. Of course, Sheldon has other ideas, as we soon learn, once again, how each of our three protagonists are still flawed and just cannot help getting in their own ways. More so Billy and Gloria. This all leads to a somewhat ambiguous ending, leaving us with some hope, but no definitive triumph. Now, we are laughing and entertained the whole way through, but this film does cannily have a sadness running underneath the story, which is one of the things I still love about this movie. White Men Can't Jump is basically a story of folks who seem perpetually stuck, in their own dangerous circumstances. The real joy of this movie is watching them try to scrape themselves up. And along the way, of course, there's plenty of great basketball. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. White Man Can't Jump has a nice high-energy soundtrack featuring several staples of early 90s hip-hop and or R&B, including Queen Latifah, Boys to Men, Jody Watley and the band Riff, who actually gave us the catchy title track. But for me, the musical highlight comes from the godfather of soul himself, James Brown, who actually has two notable needle drops as we hear one early on when the opening notes of I Feel Good kick in as Billy turns around his hat and leaves triumphantly after first hustling Sydney. And as cool as that moment is, it still doesn't top the usage of one of my favorite James Brown gems, the 1970 classic single "Super Bad," which plays over the climactic final game of the Invitational Tournament. This is just such a banger of a song, featuring Brown's signature high-pitched screeching vocals over a background overlay of both dampened trumpets and guitar carrying the rhythm. The percussiveness of otherwise melodic instruments like these just perfectly complements the fast-paced action on the basketball court. Watch me! Watch me! I got it! (laughs) (laughs) What it's all about <laughs> I got sold, and I'm super bad I got sold, <laughs> And I'm super bad The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, since the inception of this podcast, this category has been positively littered with gifted actresses of color who were sadly underutilized with the role they were given, and or the amount of screen time that they were allotted. And that brings me to Tyra Farrell, who plays Sydney's wife Rhonda. And here's the good news. She is not wasted within this movie. Farrell has a fun, meaty, supporting role as a housewife who's doing her best to scrape by with her husband and young son. She wants to work, and she has no illusions about the various hustles that he's running, which she supports, to a point. One of the film's highlights is a nice back-and-forth between her and Perez's Gloria about halfway through in her kitchen. All right, no bullshit here. I want my money back. Oh, you're not getting the money back. Well oh, yes, I am, because you will going to give me my money back. I'm not giving you nothing. Billy and Sydney, were teammates. Teammates can't hustle each other. Oh, really? Why not? It's not autistic. Let me tell you something. I don't care about art, okay? All I care about is getting out of the damn Vista View apartment building because there ain't no Vista, there ain't no Views, and there sure as hell ain't no Vista of no Views. Now, you want cream or sugar or what? Cream. Now, Pharrell had a nice early 90s run with notable good performances in Poetic Justice, The Mighty Quinn, and previous episodes, Boys in the Hood, and Jungle Fever. Check out both reviews, by the way. And then, since 1993, you got me... She pretty much just stopped working in movies for a while and mainly stuck to television, with relatively small parts in some admittedly big shows, mind you, like ER, The Shield, and Empire. I don't know, maybe she just pulled things back after being so prolific for a few years. Or more likely, Hollywood just didn't know what to do with her, which is unfortunate. So once again, another case of wasted talent with a strong actress who deserved more work. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the or moment that best describes this movie. As previously mentioned, Rosie Perez is just such a delight in this role. And this culminates with the payoff, of course, being her amazing performance on the TV show Jeopardy, which happens late in the movie. RIP to Alex Trebek, by the way. The Jeopardy sequence is just one of several unexpected swerves that Sheldon takes with this story. And one of the reasons it works just so well is how it feels like such a gratifying triumph for Gloria, who we've watched over the past 90 minutes leading up to this, just loading herself up with gobs of information studying the World Almanac and the Guinness Book of World Records. And now she gets to finally use that information to victorious effect, dominating category after category on the show. You could almost just end the movie right here, and it would be somewhat satisfying. Okay, I'll take national disasters for 100, please. This volcano's eruption buried the city of Pompeii in 79 AD. Gloria. What is Mount Sulvius? Ooh. I'd better get a ruling on that one. Our judges indicate that that's close enough. Select again. Yes. All right, let's go with the foods that start with the letter Q, please. A game bird related to a partridge. Gloria. What is a quail? Correct. Oh, you get to pick again. Foods that start with the now. letter Q for 200, please. Answer. A custard pie often made with cheese and bacon. Gloria. What is a quiche? Yes. Okay, foods with Q for 300, please. A large edible clam of the Atlantic coast. Gloria. What is a Quahawk? Right. Okay. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Even though Perez steals her share of scenes, this is still the Wesley and Woody show at the end of the day. Snipes and Harrelson just anchor this movie. Despite some obvious tension between their characters for much of the movie, they still just play so well off of each other. Off the bat, we see this in full effect in those early basketball sequences where we watch them both attempting to hustle each other on the court. You feel some genuine bite between Sidney and Billy as they're taking alternative shots. They both really want to defeat the other person, but at the same time, there's some respect earned between each of them during that sequence, which carries over through the rest of the movie. They each see each other as a worthy opponent— which eventually leads towards them becoming genuine friends by the time the closing credits roll. Wesley and Woody also collaborated well on a previous sports comedy back in 87 with the movie Wildcats. They both played football players. And then they reunited a few years later in Money Train. But they were never better together than they are here. They are the MVPs. Oh. Hey, man, give me my money, man. Hey, 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 boy. hey, 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 hey. a money thing, me, brother? There's a man with integrity. Hey, yo, don't you push your luck, man. It got nothing to do with luck. Hey, yo, man, you said we was going to Sizzler, Oh, man, shut your anorexic malnutrition tapeworm having overdose dick Gregory Bahamian diet drinking ass up. Leave me alone. My rating for White Men Can't Jump is four and a half stars out of five. Happy 30th anniversary to a modern classic, which crisscrosses several different genres. Not only does it remain one of the most rewatchable sports movies of the past several decades, but it's also among the most quotable. And if you're looking to watch White Men Can't Jump, it's currently streaming on Hulu and Roku. And that ends another Slam Dunk review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.